Welcome everyone to today's devotion. We're in Revelation chapter 9, and again the, the imagery is, is quite striking and can be difficult to interpret. Um, really the whole chapter can be quite quite difficult to, to interpret. Um, I want us to notice that in yesterday in Revelation chapter 8, we looked at the first four trumpets. Remember you have seven seals. The seventh seal opens the seven trumpets. Seventh trumpet opens up to seven bowls. So, so you have 21 um, judgments, and they, they seem to have some parallels um, where, where they reflect each other. We, we talked about how the, the seven trumpets parallel the seven bowls, and even how the trumpets and the seals are related. So, so you can read Revelation in chronological order, that when one thing happens, the next thing, and, and all the way through. Or you can see it's somewhat cyclical. Uh, that that there there seems to be overlap, which is really where where I lean. The more I read Revelation, the more I lean in that direction. Um, but you'll notice yesterday, the first four trumpets, which has some connection to the first four seal judgments, the horsemen, um, is that they were calamities in nature. So the sea, the earth, the sun, all of that was was under assault. Um, but in trumpets five and six, it's it's a supernatural judgments. Okay. So, so the, the, the sun will go dark, I think, is the fourth trumpet, or uh, the, the earth will dry up and all that sort of stuff. But here, it's much more supernatural. It's very supernatural. And so we have this contrast of God's judgment uh, through both nature and uh, the, the demonic forces, uh, but it's still God's judgment. Um, but, but the main thing I want us to see in this chapter uh, is not what uh, these demonic beings do, do, as intriguing as that is, in fact, um, I've, I've always loved the beginning of chapter 9, so just out there, um, scorpion stinging locust, right? I mean, just uh, how cool is that? Um, but what is important in, in this text is not what they do, but rather what they are not allowed to do. This is to say that this is a chapter that is a warning to the reader to repent uh, in, in light of God's judgment. But we also need to see here that, that God is the one restraining forces of evil, whether it be human evil with wars, we'll see, or with supernatural evil with, with the evil of that of, of fallen beings. Uh, so we see God's sovereign care over everything. And so uh, when we have peace, when we have treaties, when we have a diplomacy, we need to see that as, as God's grace to humanity. But when that is pulled back and man is is handed over to, to his own base desires. Uh, all of that goes away, and mankind becomes very violent and deadly. So we get the fifth angel blew his trumpets, the same language we saw in chapter 8 with the first four trumpets. Uh, a star falls from heaven, uh, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. I don't want to spend forever on this because there's a lot of other details to look at. Uh, there is a, a text in the Bible, it's actually in the Gospels, where Satan is described as a star falling from heaven. Um, we, we need to see that, that the heavens um, and heaven uh, are, are somewhat related in Second Temple Judaism. Uh, they're separate but still related. So what you have is a star, which is often used to describe divine beings, falling from heaven, falling from the heavens, um, and, and coming to the earth. Well, this is likely a depiction of the fall of who, who we call Satan, um, um, 
but but nevertheless falls and he's given a key to the shaft bottomless pit um, and, and there's a lot of debate as to uh, what is the bottomless pit why is it there why are there beans in the bottomless pit um, um, and a lot of that is probably related to um, really developed by the book of Enoch and the watchers and its interpretation of Genesis 6 with uh, the sons of God the Nephilim and all that sort of stuff Jude and, and to Peter uh, hint at, at this, this interpretation. But, but the main thing we need to see is what comes out of that. Um, we see in verse 3, are locusts on the earth. They were given a power like the power of scorpions of, of the earth. And what they do is they don't harm, locusts would harm um, plants and grass and all that. They don't do that. But rather, they um, harm those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads, and they do so for a period of five months. So a couple of things to notice here. When we see locusts as an as a image of judgment, now, now again, you, you can be a dispensationalist here and read it literally. So I read Left Behind uh, when I was in high school. I, I grew up dispensationalist. Um, and I remember that when this scene came, and it was one of my favorite scenes of, of the series because I, I find this stuff fascinating. Um, I think it was Buck uh, takes a magnifying glass. He traps one of these, you know, and he, he, he looks at it and he describes it in the same way this is. Well, I don't think we should literally be looking for locusts that sting like scorpions, you know, that have the hair of women and the face of a man. And, you know, I don't think that's the point of the text. Remember, this is apocalyptic literature where not everything is literal. It is figurative, it is metaphorical, it's symbolic, uh, it's typo, uh, typographical, it's, it's pointed us back to the Old Testament. Um, but actually what we see is that locusts are often associated with judgment. Remember that the trumpet judgments parallel the Exodus judgments. Now there's 10 in Exodus uh, in Egypt, and there's, there's seven here. Uh, but there was a locust plague in the... Um, Exodus story, much as there was darkness and the rivers turning to blood and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so, so there is that act of judgment. Of course, that was literal locust. Uh, but really, the key passage for understanding the beginning of Joel, it, or beginning of Revelation 9, is the, the prophecy of Joel. Um, I preached through Joel a few years ago. It was a fascinating book. Uh, but there is a locust army that comes and it really dominates the, the prophecy. And there's a lot of debate. Is this a literal locust plague? Is it a, a symbolic for a, a, um, a plague of, of, of army, you know, an army coming? It's probably a little bit of both. Uh, they, they are related. Uh, but, but, but nevertheless, we, we see the same imagery here. They come and, and, and they don't attack the grass as a regular locusts, which probably means these aren't literal locusts. Uh, but rather, they come to torment humanity, particularly unbelievers, those who don't have the seal of God on their forehead. And it's for a period of five months. Um, I, I, again, I, should it be a literal five months? Maybe. I don't know. Um, but it's probably more symbolic to, to symbolize a, a short period of time. Um, they, they will long for death, but death will not be brought to them. This is a type of hell, if you will, and that the death will not be granted. Now, it's, it, their appearance is described starting in verse 7 and going down, um, but what we need to see is that they were, they were like horses prepared for battle. This is warfare uh, imagery, and Joel uses some of the same imagery here for the locusts there that is used here. And so we see to have heads with 
crowns of gold, faces like human faces, hair like women's hair, teeth like lion's teeth, breastplates uh, of iron, noise of their wings was like many chariots of horses rushing in the battle. What we need to see here is, is first of all, this is battle imagery. So this is a war that's going on here, a supernatural war. And so uh, you have demonic forces infecting humanity. And what comes out of that is destruction, pain, agony. And so a lot of commentators will say um, that what you have here is not just physical harm, so the stinging of the scorpion tail, but also uh, spiritual, mental, emotional harm as well. They desire something, but it isn't granted to them. So, so, so you have an unfolding of, of, the, of, of chaos uh, driven by unbelief. And I will say as a pastor, what you'll find is, the more entrenched one comes into their unbelief, often the, 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 the darker their life gets, the, the, the more complicated their life gets, the, the, more, the more ugly their life gets, the more painful life gets. Um, and, and perhaps you have something in, in a more fantastic way being described here. So what you have is spiritual forces being unleashed at a greater level. This, of course, contrasts what Jesus comes and does. Jesus comes and he, 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 he attacks um, not just the natural world, sickness, death, and all that, but the supernatural world because he is king over all of it. I will get a spam call around this time every day. I am convinced of it. Um, verse 11, you'll see this is they have a king over them. It's interesting. Proverbs says uh, locusts have no kings. So I think there's a play with that. Um, the angel of the bottomless pit. Remember that you have a star, which is sometimes used as an image of, 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 of divine beings, angelic beings, coming down to the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek it is Apollyon. Now, why did he provide both Hebrew and Greek? I don't know. No one knows. That's not unusual in the New Testament. Uh, often uh, the gospel writers will translate for us. Um, Cephas means Peter, you know, or means rock. You know, there, there's, there's all kinds of that. Uh, it'll quote Jesus in Aramaic, uh, Eli, Eli, Loma, Sabachthani, but then give it, you know, the Greek translation. Um, but anyways, he does that. Now, um, we use Apollyon more in English than the Greek, more, more than the Hebrew. Um, but um, you can see this as a separate angel or as another title for Satan. It is striking that the Bible doesn't really give us a name of the chief of demons. Um, the, it, Satan is, is not a, a proper noun. It's really uh, an adjective, sometimes used as a noun. So we can think of the Satan, the deceiver, um, is, is what's going on there. Um, but what, what we see here is uh, these are more titles likely for Satan. In fact, perhaps he gives us a polyon because it could be a pun here. Polyon is similar to the, to the word Apollo. And it's striking that uh, the, the Greek god Apollo, his symbol was that of a locust. And we should note uh, that both Nero and, uh, uh, and another one, Dominician, I think is his name, uh, they were often associated with Apollo. So some will come and say here that, yes, there is a supernatural battle going on here, an assault from demonic forces, but we can see it in the context of human affairs. I don't know if, if we can go that far or not, but it certainly is consistent with what we see in um, 
with what we see um, with uh, uh, the letters to, to, to the churches in that um, they were under assault uh, from uh, this, the Roman system. And so, it, so, so there do seem to be hints at this throughout the book of Revelation. And perhaps this is one of them. That what you have is an assault uh, upon humanity uh, that is demonic in nature, but is at times demonstrates itself through a political system. Then we get a sixth angel here, blows his trumpet, um, and a voice says, release the four angels who are uh, bound at the great rivers Euphrates. I think we should be careful reading too much into th who these angels are and what that means. Are they good? Are they bad? Four angels show up earlier. So, so I, I, I'm not sure that's worth our discussion. The great rivers Euphrates is significant. We should note that it was sort of a boundary between Israel and ancient Babylon. Ancient Babylon's on the east of it. Um, Israel at its, at its broadest under Solomon reached the Euphrates River. Um, and and the hope of the Messianic kingdom is it would reach beyond the Euphrates uh, to reach the, the ends of the earth. So, so there's some symbolism here. What you have is forces of evil uh, mounting an attack. So the four angels, verse 15, who have been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, the year were released to kill a third of mankind. So, so we move from desiring death, but death won't come, to um, not wanting death, but, but they die anyways. Um, so you can do with that whatever you want. Uh, verse 18, uh, I just want to move forward. By these three plagues, uh, and it lists them there, um, uh, fire, smoke, and sulfur, a third of mankind was killed by the fire, smoke, and sulfur, sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. I think most commentators see this as um, either like spiritual warfare or actual warfare. So you have a, a pulling back of, of God's restraint. He's still sovereign over everything. Uh, and so he's limited things five months. And, and then earlier we saw the hour, the day, the month, and the year. So this is all part of God's sovereign divine plan of judgment upon injustice and, and evil and sin on, on the earth. But, but, but it isn't all-consuming. So, so just as with the first four trumpets, only a third. So God is restraining the effect. So he's doing the same here. But, but the real point it starts in verse 20. The rest of mankind who are not killed by these plagues, all six of these trumpets, did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Striking here. He equates the worshiping of demons with idolatry. That's consistent with... New Testament theology and really biblical theology. But it's striking he mentions the worshiping of demons in a chapter dominated with demonic forces waging war against humanity. So in John's view, it is these demons that we lift up that are at the same time our demise. We invest in the things that harm us, that seek to destroy us, that, that, that separate us. Why do we do that? And so the calling of God is to say, herein is peace, herein is love and joy and reconciliation. Here is contentment. Here is all that you long for. If you would but surrender that, crucify false worship and false idols in favor of the true and living sovereign God. But the problem is that humanity is has hard hearts and refuses to repent. It says it there, nor do they repent of their murders, sorceries, or sexual immorality or defense. Notice again, you have 
false worship leads to evil. And so, maybe we can read this chapter isn't just that demons are poking people with with sticks, you know, and and they're just having fun with it in their tight red suits and their strange tail and their pointy heads. That, that, That shouldn't be the image we get here. But perhaps we should see that we are engaged right now in a spiritual war that too often, even we as Christians in 21st century America are trying to fight uh, armed with, with physical means. We think politics will save us. We, 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 we think that a system will save us. We think um, uh, 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 psychology and Gnosticism will save us. But John is saying, look, there is a war that's being waged. At times it be worse than others. All of that under God's sovereign control. And the answer is repent. How often in those letters that John say, remember and repent. And so he says the same thing here. Will we not repent and thus be saved? I hope we will. Especially after a year of, of suffering and of plague. Hope to see you guys here tomorrow.